Welcome to the No BS Real Estate Show. My name is Ethan Newman. Guys, we have, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very, very intelligent and experienced guest coming on the show today, Logan Rankin. Um, there are some people that come on our show where we have good conversations, we have good flow, you know, goes goes pretty well. And then we have others where even Harris and I are completely mind blown about the level and the depth of intellect somebody has, not only for multifamily or real estate, but for business in general. Guys, multifamily, real estate, it's a business. So the more business skills and acumen you can have, the better you will become um, as a business person, as a real estate investor. Um, And this guy, Logan, he is so, so smart. He built a extremely large portfolio without using syndications. He uses a lot of creative financing. He has a great repos- repositioning process. He has a great team. So we get into hiring and team building this episode. I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna have him back. So please take your notebook out. He drops a lot of gems. Let's get into it. Are you looking to actively or passively invest in multifamily real estate? We bring on industry experts and ask specific questions to get specific answers. No fluff, no long-winded stories, no BS. Welcome to the No BS Real Estate Show, where we cut out all the fluff and get straight to the point. Starring your co-hosts, Ethan Newman and Harris Trail. Welcome to the No BS Real Estate Show, where we cut out all the fluff and get straight to the point. Today, we have a great guest on. Uh, He's been in the game for a little while now. He's scaled the crap out of his business. His name is Logan Rankin. Logan, tell the viewers a little bit about your background, um, what your business is looking like now, how long you've been in the game. Um, all that. Yeah, that sounds good. Thanks for having me on too. I love your uh, show title too. We didn't talk about that before we jumped on this because there's there is so many uh, podcasts that only talk about mindset, and there's also a ton of masterminds that only talk about like mindset, but they don't give you any actionable shit of like what to actually do. Yep. Um, so that's what I love. Uh, yeah. But let me give my background. Uh, so. Uh, I grew up in a small town in northeastern Wisconsin, hardworking, blue class uh, town, uh, great parents, hardworking parents. We just didn't, you know, we didn't have, we had enough money, just never enough too. And um, throughout high school, college even, graduated, still didn't know anything about money, but knew that I, I wanted money, right? Um, so started working like everything in society, my parents, <laughs> school taught me to do. You just get a corporate job. So that's what I did. Started working for a Fortune 50 company um, in retail management and leadership. Uh, did that for about two or three years and I start doing well, right? Um, start start promoting. Um, I'm working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, nights and weekends, it's retail. Um, putting in the work because that's what I was taught to do. Um, I was taught to save. Uh, I was also taught to pay off all my debt, uh, which I did. <laughs> and then I was taught to put all my money in a 401k, which I did. Um, but again, I, I wanted, not having money made me want it even more, maybe want the freedom even more. So after doing that for two or three years, uh, wasn't happy, didn't feel like I could get ahead. So I started reading. I didn't read a lot through school, but um, I didn't, again, I didn't have any family or friends around me um, or anybody uh, significantly wealthy that would teach me something. So I read enough books, and if you read enough books, you end up getting into real estate, right? So um, I, I tried just about everything else, IRAs, stocks, et cetera. Um, and then I'm like, man, like 
there's a lot of wealthy people in real estate. So my wife and I saved up enough money and in 2013, we bought our first investment property. It was a single family house that left $7 left in our bank. I convinced my wife to do it and said it should, based on this book, I underwrote this deal, it should produce $3,300. We'll go on a vacation after this year with the $3,300. A year went by and it cash flowed like $3,250 or something. It It was close. But I got so excited because up until that point, I couldn't predict how much of the returns. I mean, if someone asks you to predict how much money your 401k is gonna make a year ago, no clue, right? And even if you could, it's not like you got it. Um, so I was pumped because again, I wanted financial freedom sooner than 59 and a half or whatever society tells you you can. And uh, so I convinced my wife to not take on the vacation and the next year we doubled, we bought two units. The year after that, we bought two more duplexes, so four units. So only seven units in three years. But um, again, because I kept educating myself, uh, there is a, a mindset shift that happened around uh, my work. So I started realizing my work, uh, that I was really good with people. I could lead, I could lead people. Uh, I loved operations and systems, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and I could obsess around P&Ls. Like I would just like pour, you know, I, I kept promoting. I mean, I, I led a team of 19,000 people at my job. Um, I, I was in charge of changing operations across the U.S. in my job. Like I had some big, pretty cool uh, jobs uh, at a young age, and I think those were the reasons why. So when I translated that into real estate, and I started looking at my real estate as businesses, not properties, yep. it really started to explode. Um, mm. And then in 2019, I had about 180, 200 units. It was enough, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. So based on what I kept, it was enough money to quit my job, uh, hit my financial freedom uh, at 30. And then I haven't looked back, so um, retired at 30, started a property management company that year uh, with four uh, people, and then let's speed up to today. Um, today I actually closed on 82 more units, putting my total at 1,923 units, and 75 people uh, scaled up in my property management company. I love how you mention, and I know Ethan's gonna ask this next question, but I just wanna put this in here is I love how you mentioned there was a mindset shift where you stopped treating real estate like a hobby and you started treating it like a business. And I feel like that's the most important thing when it comes to people trying to scale is realizing that um, if you treat it like a hobby, you're gonna get hobby-like returns from it. If you treat it like a business, you're gonna get business-like returns. Um, And you're gonna start putting into systems and processes into place that are gonna help make things easier. So that mindset shift of saying, hey, this isn't just something I'm doing on the side. This is something I'm gonna I'm gonna hammer and something that I'm gonna actually try and structure out. Not meaning you have to drop everything else to treat it like a business, but just giving it that mindset shift makes all the difference in the world. And I'm sure you can attest to that as well. Absolutely, man. Yeah, Logan. So I'm looking at your timeline here on the website and 2013, first investment property, and then 2014, first duplex, and then 2015, another four and then another 10. So it looks like you were basically doubling every year, which if you know anything about (laughs) exponential growth, like that's insane um, when you start getting bigger. But it looks like 2019, 2020, like you really started ramping up. Like there's a bunch of things added to the timeline there. Like what happened at that moment in time? Like, was it another mindset shift? Did you join like a mentorship? Like it looks like you started exploding around that time. Yeah. uh, two things with that. <clears throat> One, um, I still own 100% of the equity. So I scaled all that without giving up a, partner, a partnership or syndication or anything. Man. 
Um, so like that made it a little bit tougher and we can get into that later, but I don't think there's any right way to scale or build in real estate. It's just like what's meant from you. I would argue though that a lot of people think there's only like one plant path to significantly scale through, for example, syndication. Um, you don't, that, that's an awesome way to be able to do it, but not the only way. Um, to answer your question, um, you're like, what, what attracted me to you guys right away is I love the word vision. It's actually like my, Mm -hmm. my number one step in my, in my book we'll talk about later. Um, but when I quit my, when I, when I retired from my job in 2019, one of the things that I could see, cause I was in retail, right? Retail leadership. I could, the job market, job market is, it was getting tougher and tougher. And that was one of the things I anticipated that it would continue to, especially when it comes to operating multifamily. Think about like the skills and the trades, like it's hard to get people in that area and at a great price um, and, and to fit into your systems. So we started, when we when I decided to build my management company, I decided to make it as much management as, as construction. So we would over hire so that we keep most of it in house and train them on our systems. So, because I believe like everything in business should be uh, about speed, um, speed kills. And um, so if we have the labor, then we have the speed to be able to reposition uh, these properties. So to answer your question, what really helped me scale is I had so much more confidence in those years because I could buy uh, huge apartment complexes and reposition those in uh, half the time that a normal multifamily investor could uh, do that. So, and if you're gonna reposition a property, there's a lot of risk, right? You're spending a you know, shitload worth of capital improvements and of your money, uh, there's vacancy involved, there's, there's the rehab involved, there's the re-renting of those units that's involved, and then most of all, there's the reward, which is the refi. The faster you can do it, the faster you can get all that money plus some out. Um, so around 2020, 21, and especially this year, our systems were really, really strong in our property management company, and we also have and still have the capacity to do 85% of the work in-house. So when it came to like, obviously you were hiring a lot then, what what were you doing to find new hires? Was was there like certain places that you would go to find people that you thought would be a good fit for your company or? Yeah, I love this question because it, it actually fires me up because I, I constantly <laughs> hear on social media, everybody talking about, we can't find good labor. We can't find people. There's this job market sucks. Are you kidding me right now? Like this, that is a gr- problems are the best opportunities in business. I love this job market. Mm. First of all, I love it because all those people bitching about not finding people are going out of business. I mean, business is the most competitive sport there is. That's what makes business uh, amazing. So when you have issues like this, I would say, what can you do uh, from a solution standpoint? So. Uh, there's think about first of all who is the job market right it's not baby boomers anymore it's gen x and it's millennials so there's different things that they value for example they value growth i have somebody that um, i'm mentoring in business and he's talking about man like after these last couple years of growing i'm just gonna like i'm just gonna like stay still for like a year or two you know just to like you know iron things out i said so you want your business to decline he goes well what do you what do you mean i'm like Staying still is is you are actually losing. Yeah. Staying still, you have to grow by eight to nine percent to stay still. Um, so uh, so I said, and then secondly, who wants to work for a business that's declining? Not Gen X and not millennials. They want opportunity. They want growth. I mean, we grew by two hundred and forty percent last year and three hundred percent the year before. Like 
I have, all my employees are fired up about that. But number one, if you're scaling and growing, that's a huge competitive advantage. So you should be talking about that as much as possible as you're hiring. Um, I believe that you should double down on training and development in your company. Like this year, I'm going to spend $100,000 in my company on just training and development. So we got all these people, even restaurants. Like, have you guys went to a restaurant lately and it's like not open during lunchtime because they can't make yeah. staffing because of COVID? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you know, Monday, Tuesday will be closed for no yeah. reason. And then, you know what? Like, I'll talk to one of those business owners. Like, how can you not find people? He's like, oh. Just, I mean, we're, we're hiring, but there's not that many people with experience serving in the restaurant industry. It, that is crazy to me. Why are you only looking to hire people with experience? Anybody mm. serve a table. You just got to train mm. them. And I feel like it's the same with property management. It's the same with multifamily. So for us, one of our competitive secrets is we'll hire on attitude and we'll hire on work ethic. Then we'll look for skills or experience. But quite honestly, you don't need them. You just literally show up for work, work your ass off, and have a great attitude. We'll train you. And we, we have a licensed plumber on staff, for example. How many of those do you actually need? Ninety so percent of my people. Ninety percent of like fixing plumbing stuff, a garbage disposal, like it, it happens over and over and over. And you don't need to be a licensed plumber to be able to do it. Plus, it's a lot cheaper to be able to do it that way too, right? So why not like build a company um, that and hire people that don't have the skills and experience? train them so that they do. By the way, then they're gonna be much more thankful, much more adaptable. You can pay them more money as, as they yep. learn and, and skill up. And you can do this really in any industry. You just gotta, you gotta really double down on, um, on your training and your development. And then w one more thing too, I could, I could, we could talk all day about <laughs> hiring as you can tell. Um, uh, so um, <clears throat> a lot of people are like, when they don't find something, they're looking on Indeed and LinkedIn, and that's fine. Um, but it scares me today to be hiring somebody that doesn't have a job. And that's what a lot of these companies that can't find people like they're, 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 they're usually interviewing people that don't actually have a job. If you don't have a job in today's labor market. So what I'm, all I'm saying is like, if you're a restaurant owner, if you're a property manager, if you're a construction company, you should be taking it from your competition. It's business, like not in like an unethical type of way, but like walk you know, into their what office. You, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you have that they don't have? Like my, my management company will only manage for my employees and myself and they'll manage all my employees properties at the same cost basis as me, which ends up being like 5% overall, like no fees, no, not like they get my 1923 units economy of scale on their trash contracts on like it's a ridiculous and we'll never manage for anybody else that's a that's a competitive advantage uh we don't offer 401k uh one thing that we do is uh nobody takes any profit from the company i've never taken a dollar from my property management company it gets redistributed to the employees right mm -hmm. and then we share our PL with every employee i don't care if you're a painter a cleaner or my operations director you're going to see how where the money's going because it's a direct reflection of whether that's going to come back to you or a truck for the company or, or whatever. At the end of the year, you can decide where that money goes. Um, you'd be surprised. Like employees, Gen X, millennials, like anybody that wants more for themselves, like from a wealth building standpoint, they don't care about a 401k. They, yeah. If they do, they only care because school told them to or society told them to. What they care about is like how to actually grow their own wealth, not just yep. their employer's wealth. Um, so if you can do that as, as a business owner, I think, yeah. 
I think there, there's, a lo- there's a lot I could talk about in this sector. It just fires me up. This is like a, a, a perfect opportunity, though, for businesses to put other businesses out of business and uh, grow their own the right way. Yeah, I agree. I think it's about being adaptable with the the times that are changing. Cause like we're we're Gen Z, so like we're even a, another generation down. And like, dude, like you're exactly right. Like if I were to work a job, it would be about the culture and the growth opportunity over anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm confident enough that I could learn anything. And I think a lot of people our age are really confident in their ability to learn. And so it's more important about the growth mindset um, than the experience. So yeah, I said. I had this written down, look for mindset over experience is something you talked about. Have really, really good training is really important because I think that's something that we uh, messed up on when we hired our first employees was we didn't take enough time to train them, right? Because yeah. you expect somebody to come in like, oh, they can figure it out. Well, no, like you have to show yeah. them how to do it, right? And then also I heard you say a lot, it's like, just become a great fucking company. Yeah. Like it's simple as that. If you become a great company, you're going to attract great people. Like there's a reason Elon Musk is able to do so much and it's not just because he has this powerful brain. Like he can't handle SpaceX and Tesla and the boring company and Neuralink. Like that's just too much. But he has great people around him and it's because what he's built is amazing and it's exciting and it's growing. And that's why so many people are being lashed onto it. It's because they have the opportunity to grow with it and they're building something awesome. (laughs) Logan, let's, I love this direction. Let's like break this down a little bit more. When you're, when you're hiring, you're looking for that mindset. You're looking for uh, the hardworking people. What are like some things that you're, you're looking for in, in the direct interview? Like what kind of questions are you asking to be able to pull that out of somebody? Yeah, um, I, I like that question. Um, well, I'll tell you what we look for in skills, and then I'll share a few questions. Um, we absolutely love to look for people that have like a drive for results, um, uh, t- like that that competitive, like I want to be great, and I don't need somebody to constantly like tell me I need to be great, right? So that self motivation is really big. Mm-hmm. Um, here's one that I think a lot of people don't look for: um, the resilience. Like the, the, the ability to be resilient and adaptable. If there's anything we should know that is, there is only one thing that's constant in business. It's that it's, it's ever changing. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, it's changing so fast. And, um, you know, what I want to continue to, um, I think like it's, there's, uh, so many small businesses that go out of business. And I, I truly believe that like growing a small business is extremely hard to do. And I've made a lot of mistakes as well. Um, so you've got to grow fast to try to get out of being a small business. I think it's one of the ways to combat that. So you've got to be resilient and adaptable. Like what, what one person's job is today is, is not going to look the same six months from now. And, and if you're not okay with that, or you're not excited about that, um, like think, I mean, Ethan, Elon Musk, like, I mean, that company has, I would argue by the way, if, if you can be, if you can grow like crazy, um, and have great culture, you're almost bulletproof. Um, but even if you had one of the two, because. Elon Musk, I would argue that there's been a lot of stories about his culture not being great, but his growth is just fucking insane. Ridiculous. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> so like, you know, but I tell you what, like if you if you're not if you're not excited about that, you're just not gonna last for for Elon and he's okay with that. Um so um 
you know, that would be a, a different like skill set because I think a lot of people look for, yeah, are you smart? Can you strategize? Can you solve problems? I mean, some of those things matter, but man, I've been, I've been, I, I've underappreciated. I made a lot of mistakes with the power of people being resilient and adaptable while also being driven because there's a lot of people that are driven, but as soon as something goes wrong, they're not resilient enough and it just like, it just shatters them. Um, questions that I ask, one of my favorite questions, um, Harris is, I would say is where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? I ask that to every person I meet at a networking event. Like, honestly, I'm like, what is your vision for the next like 10 years? It's huge, right? Like, it's so huge. Um, you can go a long ways with that. Uh, I love to ask what is one of the biggest roadblocks or mistakes that you've ever had in your life? Um, as you can tell, the first question is kind of going into somebody's drive. The second question is kind of going into the resiliency. You know, more I'm more interested in like what happened after that. And by the way, if it's kind of like I turned in a homework assignment late and it like really sucked, like that's, <laughs> that's the hardest thing that happened like in your life. That also worries me because you just you haven't been. Um, you just haven't been challenged in life. So now my company has to be the one to challenge you first. And I don't know how you're going to react. So and since mm. culture is my, the guy that runs my property management company, his name is Josh, like the number one reason I hired him. And there's a million other reasons because he's an incredible individual, but he is the best with culture, just unbelievable team builder. And the, one of the most unselfish people I know, like he, by the way, when I hired him, he didn't own anything in real estate and knew nothing about real estate. So if that goes like he's the president, he was my first hire. I'm a president of my company. So um, it, it that culture, as you add people, as you're scaling, you can make some really bad mistakes uh, bringing on people that don't fit into that culture. Yeah. How do you guys handle like, because a lot of people are really good at kind of like blowing smoke when it comes to interviews. Um, like we've had our fair share of experience with that. Like I know if I really wanted to blow smoke, I probably could go into an interview and do it, even though that's not the type of person I am. Like how do you guys filter out people beyond that first interview? Because like you could go a month or two and it's like, okay, well this isn't the person that I thought you were. Like, do you guys have any like systems to where you can mitigate that? Yeah, we, I mean, our best, by the way, I don't think there's any way to fully mitigate that. I, I mean, yeah. full transparency. We had somebody, uh, come to work yesterday, go through a three hour, three hour orientation after orientation, asked to use the bathroom and we couldn't find him. He's gone. I'm pretty sure he's filing for unemployment. Um, so it happens, <laughs> but, um, our industry has a 50% turnover rate. Ours uh, year after year has been the highest we've ever been is nine. So we're pretty good at it overall. Um, I would say uh, we have a 90 day probationary period, Ethan. I think that's the best thing that you can do. Ultimately, like he doesn't become full time or they don't become like on your company. And we make it kind of a big deal. We actually start people at a lesser pay. It's kind of like, yeah, if you say you can do all these things, that's fantastic. But just kind of like your show, uh, like you can talk to talk, but I care more about walking the walk. Our our maintenance technicians. you know, that work in the field, when they have an interview, we give them a tour of my 30,000 square foot school. Um, it's built in 1891, that's where our office is. Uh, we just rehabbed it. We give them a tour of it and, and the interview, the people that are doing the interviews walk freaking fast. If you can't even, that's one of our, seriously though, like you might be able to talk to talk, but if you can't even keep up as we give you a school tour, you're just not gonna make it here. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, isn't that like super corny, but so true, like let's go. Like this, this is, it's about hustle, man. You gotta be excited to get this job. But the 90 day probationary period, I think that's I think that's a game changer because they come in a little bit lower and we have like this. It's, it's a really big deal at 90 days. Um, and we also ask some really cool questions like who is your best trainer? 
who is the person that influenced you the most that isn't your trainer? And we have some pretty cool like rewards um, uh, at our company uh, that we celebrate because again, it is all about that culture. So when someone starts new, um, for example, our entire office here, before they even get here on day one, knows their name. So like mm. from an introduction standpoint, it's a little That's big. Thing. That's big. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. And by who who is your best trainer? That's within the company. Who do you say is the is the person that's influenced you the most and has has been the best for you within the the culture of the company? Yeah. Outside of your trainer, because your trainer oh. will be with you a lot. But yeah, kind of. And everybody knows these are the questions we ask, right? In fact, it's a really big. I, I love. Uh, I I'm a. You guys will love this. Gen Z loves this. Uh, like I'm a huge advocate of only I pay pay for performance. And I don't think there should be like any, um, so we have a, like, we have a development plan. It's, it's, a, you know, you, you can continue because I believe everybody should know if you want to accomplish more, you should own your own development. First of all, not your boss. It should be there for you, right? It should be there. It, it, you should know exactly what you need to do to continue to climb, um, and, and build and be able to develop. <clears throat> but there's people along the way that are going to help you with that too. Um, so like when, when we get to the end of the year, and we pay on performance, it is very, very like black and white. Like, di mm. did you, what, here are our results. You know, did we accomplish on a one, two, three scale, three being the best, one being the worst? And then what was your impact on it? And most people will measure actual results, actual business metrics. For example, let's just say vacancy. And we will. But we also have a bucket called team, which is really, really big. And that is your influence on other people to be able to drive the overall company missions. And everybody knows that too. So if you like are just head down, driving, producing really great results, but you have helped zero people this year, you're not, that will impact your review. Mm, dude, that's a gem, bro. <laughs> yeah, I love this. And it's all those little things that are building that culture too. Um, and like you said, that culture is 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 key to the success. Um, one of the things that Ethan and I have had issues with in the past, because we're um, just starting to get to the point to where we're really trying to scale higher up a lot. Um, and we're, we've been having issues with the whole training aspect. Um, cause there's so much that goes into that. So I know you said that you have an orientation when somebody comes onto the team, what other things are you doing in terms of training that have been, have helped just expedite that process? Yeah, good question. So, um, other than the orientation, uh, we try to give them a general, um, maybe the first day or two, they get kind of like a general idea of the different work streams of our business. So in, in property management, we have three different work streams, an executive work stream, um, I, and work stream being like, you know, divide your business up into like, what are the big areas or like, how, the, what divisions do they have? Um, and give them a general, like the first couple of days, a general idea of what that looks like. Cause for the most, I, I'm a big believer that people can only do two or three things like really, really, really yeah. well. I hate I agree. right? And it's one of the things that sucks about small business because like you've got to wear a lot of hats, but <laughs> let's yeah. acknowledge that you can't do all the hats really well. Um, so as we continue to scale, like I'm very, I'm trying as much as I can to keep people in their lane. Let's just say that. But before we do, it's a really good idea to give them like, 
you know, how, how much of her time to just make sure they understand what this work stream does, what this work stream does and what their own work stream does. Um, then they get training with their trainer. So a lot of hands-on training and I'm a big believer in hands-on. Like I remember when I used to work at my corporate job, it would be like the first two days sit on a computer and all this. I know like you are like, we're going to put them actually on the job right away. Um, because it's kind of, um, I, I, I truly believe in custom-based training. Um, for example, it's that, like not everybody 20, 21 years old is going to uh, learn as fast as maybe you guys. Um, so for a good trainer in my, and a good training program scales with the individual. So, so for what we have and what I'd recommend you guys do is you think of like the 20 different tasks that a person would need to do really, really well. And then, and, and the first thing you should do, I'm sorry, is just think of like, if there's 40 things, because you guys are smaller, if there's 40 things you have to do, think of the top 20 or maybe yeah. even the top 10 and just train them on that. But here's the, here's the thing. You train them on, on one thing first and until they meet, then you have like walk-offs or check-offs until they can do that profession, like proficiently, then they go to number two. And then they go to number three, but they do that in their own timeline. So our trainers would be like, Hey, there is no timeline of when you should be proficient on this. Generally it might be five days, but to be honest with you, if you can do this in 24 hours, we're going to move you to the next one. Yeah. So as we said at the beginning, when we hired you, it takes 90 days before we sign you off. Here's the deal. If you can be proficient at our top 10 things well before 90 days, we're going to move your 90 day review up though too. You know, some people might be you and it's okay if it's not learn a little bit quicker. So we're also like, you know, uh, helping them or guiding them like, and, and encouraging them, you could say to learn quicker if they can, but there's still those checkoffs because I'm a, it doesn't, even if you think you're proficient, like your trainer should have to sign you off. Yeah. Um, so that, that's what, that would be my, that's what they do. So they, they spend a little bit of time getting to know the work streams. Then they enter immediately into their top 10 objectives and we start training them one by one. If they knock off the first one, we sign off, we move to the next one. And, um, you know, I would do little things like this, like every other week, um, their boss would check in with them and they would ask them questions. How's your training going? How's your trainer? And then he would like ask the trainer, how's this person doing? Any, um, anything that's not going well, any roadblocks. So for example, I, if they're, the person's unaccountable, we missed it somehow. You can't teach accountability in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll probably give it one more week and then we'll just fire them. We'll fire fast. Like if, 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 if you can't, it, it's better for them too. Like, I'm not trying to be heartless. It's just like, if, if I wasn't going to succeed, just cut me now, like, get them out. Yeah. Out something else. This just might not be it. Um, so that those conversations every other week with, the with the supervisor, um, until we could hire an HR, we have an HR now an executive HR. Now she does a lot of those conversations, but, um, those check-ins are huge. Do you have a trainer that literally is just training? Is that like their, their sole purpose? Uh, no, they they still have a full-time, the full-time job. So they'll train on top of it. And they'll be at a higher pay grade to be able to do it too. And because I'm a, again, I'm a, I'm a really big believer that they should be any, the trainer should be training the individual, but the individual is actually doing the job, um, yeah. that first job. So for example, if that person that's working has the same 10 things, right? He just might not be doing number one, his trainees doing number one. He's just following it. He's yep. doing two through 10. Yep. Man, I love that. That's a, that's a gym, man, honestly, because you're, you're 
laying it all out up front what their path of progress is going to look like and you're also giving them it's like you're, you have the bone at the end with the 90 day um, <laughs> graduation but you're saying like hey if you can get through these early and you can really show to us that you know what the hell you're doing then we're going to increase your pay early too so man, <laughs> you, exactly, you guys got it going on well that's that's exactly right don't you remember in school you know, the reason i didn't read very much in school it took me forever is because there's no like it's all like if they said all i have to do is take a test and the information uh, you know the past the class is to get you know whatever let's say you could get an a why i mean it, that there's no there's no incentive to continue to learn right like um <laughs> at least um if 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 your only goal is to be able to pass the class i just i just hate Everybody, you should. I think the here. Here's a gem. I think the worst thing you can do is treat your imp- employees all the same. Like mm. the worst thing you can do, because everybody says, "Oh, you got to treat everybody fairly," so everybody should be treated the exact same. Fuck that. You, <laughs> there are people at your company better than other people. So treating somebody that yeah. is not as proficient the same as somebody that is really fast at learning and could one day be a leader or director of your company, is you are doing a huge disservice to not only that individual, but your company, like, which ultimately impacts the guy that's not as good. I'm sure you know that too from from being college basketball. Like that's that's how it is, you know. The so they treat everybody differently. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it drives success. So it is what it is. Um, but transferring, what you think? I was going to say it's like it's funny how like a lot of entrepreneurs get into this world and they bash school um, in the way like that school treats everybody the same. Like they say, Oh, everybody doesn't learn the same, but school is just teaching one way to learn. And then those entrepreneurs are the same ones that you're talking about that go into a company and treat all of their employees the same. Well, it's like, you gotta stay consistent, man. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. um, having that perspective, that self-awareness, um, that's like, yes, not everybody's the same and that's okay. Like that's completely fine. Somebody may not be as good at the job, but they're a great basketball player. Or they love painting, and that's completely fine. Right. Like, our job is to, um, as you guys are building, this took me, I made a lot of mistakes here. Um, something to think about. Your job as a business owner is to build the system. And as you're building, a lot of people get confused because they hire a couple people, and they're really good at, like, this thing. So they start building the system around the people. Don't do that. You build a system first, and you hire people to fit your system. Because as you scale, people will leave you, things will change, and ultimately your system that you're building, right, the, the standard operating procedures for your company are designed so for your company to be the most successful. For you, for your investors, for whatever your company's trying to impact, your system matters more. The people that you hire need to help fit the system. Now, it's okay if you hired them for this area or this job and, um, that, that they're not the right fit. Then you got to find a different one. But you can't build the system on the individual because then the system is relying on the individual and then the company is relied on the individual, right? Your company should be bigger than any one person. And I think that's a really easy mistake that I've certainly made as I was building my company that a lot of entrepreneurs make too. Mm-hmm. So you're I saying basically that. you find somebody that you really, really like and you start trying to build a company around them versus them fitting them into the puzzle. That's exactly right. I gotcha. I love that. I love that. We've got uh, we got some good clips from this one today, Logan. You're dropping gems for us. Um, <laughs> Bro, trans- we haven't even talked about repositioning at all. <laughs> I know. I know. Honestly, um, 
But I, I love this. Unfortunately, we can't go all day. We're going to have to transfer over to our outro questions. Um, but I'm excited to see what you have to say about these as well. Logan, um, we're getting uh, you back on, dude. We're getting you back yeah, on. We might have to do a yeah, part let's two. Let's do it. Let's do it. Can I um, – let me drop one thing because I, I really like talking to you. I want to um, – I want to drop one thing, one last thing on reposition. Let's go to the outro, okay? <laughs> um, go for it. If you want to scale uh, in real estate, I think a lot of people are attracted to, like it's so hard to find a deal. So find a really great deal and close on that deal. Um, I'm a big believer that the work starts after you close on the deal, right? Uh, and you should have an incredible business plan. So like you, you can, you should have everything lined up for like day one of closing, which you know, we, we can get into it at a different time because there's so much that goes into repositioning. But the short version of like uh, speed in business and what I would recommend is um, at any size, because even at, you know, if somebody had that's listening four units, 10 units, if you can, if you can think about how to change that business, right, the, which I'm talking about the property. So if you can think about how that property is currently being run um, by the previous owner, how he's running his business, and then how you can run that business, and how you can add value, and you can get really fast in between, um, you can make so much, so much money. Because that, that's mm-hmm. where the value is created, is being able to change the business. So um, one area, and the easiest area that I'll give today to cut it short, is um, ensuring that you have the labor to be able to invest rehabbing your properties. Like you wanna actually put money into the property, and that's the way the profit uh, the most from the property, the most from, from your business. So, um, and, and that's what has helped me scale these last couple years to where we are, because we're turning 15 to 20 units a week. Uh, oh, our turns man. are um, 10,000 to 15,000 um, a turn. Um, if there's medium or light, maybe 5,000. Um, and we're doing them in 72 hours each. So we turn gut, tear out, paint, new cabinets, floors, appliances, 72 hours. We have uh, nine different teams doing this um, 24-7. Um, they are, uh, one, team, uh, one group of five teams has a leader. One group of four teams has a leader. Um, so we're, we're constantly turning. And you guys, you guys like math. Um, like if you do the math, uh, so la- we spend an average of 500 to 750,000 a month on CapEx. Um, and I do that because for every dollar that I spend, I make five. Yeah. So I'm trying to spend a million a month actually. So mm-hmm. I'm repositioning nine apartments at the same time. Cause it, like, here's the math, right? If you, if I spent 711,000 on, um, CapEx, which is exactly what I spent last month. Um, then let's just say my average turn is 10,000, right? So you divide that by 10,000. So you get about 71 units, uh, ish that we turned, um, of that size. Um, so if you take that, our, our bare minimum ROI, cause we don't, t- we turn units. Everybody's like, well, how, how do you know what to do with the rehab? That's for a different episode, but it's all based on ROI. <laughs> There's no emotion, you know, light, medium, heavy. My operation director does a quick analysis of how much more can I get in rent? You multiply that by 12. That makes the decision. So on average, we get about 40%, but let's just say we could only get, let's just say for easy math last month, we only made 30%. So that would mean we did $250 per unit more with yep. those renovations, right? 250 times 12 is 3,000. Um, <clears> so 3,000 divided by the $10,000 turn is 30%. So that would actually be like a low turn. So if we made, uh, if you did the math and we made, um, we had 70, 
one turns. Two, 250 a unit at 71 turns at a four and a half cap is 4.7 million increased value. Now divide that by 711,000. 6.6. Yeah. So I'm in Wisconsin, so I divided by a six cap. That's why for every dollar I make five. Uh, yeah. You're doing it at your cap. Um, but that's why, like, that's, you know, that's, and so speed kills. So what am I trying to do? In, you know, I bought a 200 unit uh, about a month ago. Uh, it would take, we're going to spend 12,500 per unit. Um, but our increase per rent on that is 570. Um, which doesn't include like other income, which we do a really good job of and it's for a different show too. But um, I'm going to reposition that thing in 12 to 18 months and it should take me four years. But now think about interest rates going on right now. This yeah. is why speed kills. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be able to pull out, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to pull out probably 10 million from this deal. Um, so I want that money as fast as possible because I'm only going to put in four. So I make six and then I roll into the next one. Anyway, that's, that's like the quick version of repositioning why, why you should try to have flexibility to be able to do it with speed because, um, you can make so much more money if you just, if you just do the math and that doesn't include like vacancy, like we don't lose money to vacancy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, dude. Now that I'm thinking about it like this, well, one, like the further you go into the future, the more uncertain it becomes because yep. you can't predict further in the future. So if you can get it done with more speed, then it increases certainty, right? And it mitigates risk of, like you said, interest rates being like two, two, uh, 200 basis points higher. <laughs> like that exactly. would suck. <laughs> That's exactly it, Ethan. That's yeah, exactly and then also it. like, the velocity of money, like the quicker you get a turn, the yep. quicker you can refi, the quicker you can have that return of capital, and then the quicker you can go and do it again, or have a higher IRR because you're returning your capital sooner to your investors. If it's a syndication, I know you're not doing syndications, but like it's, yeah, speed kills, velocity of money and uh, risk mitigation, huge. How have you guys been able to keep up with like the material shortages and h- how have you been able to manage that? Cause dude, you're turning, you're freaking moving these units, man. That's- we are, we are, it is our greatest competitive advantage. We, we literally, I would, I'd put my systems with, uh, when a tenant puts in a 60 day notice to move out against anybody, anybody. Cause we're, we're literally there. Uh, our, the previous tenant moves out on the 25th, not the 30th, by the way, in the lease. Jim, we don't prorate that either. So they're paying for that last five days. Um, so we're there at 12 o'clock, 12.01, and the materials are sitting waiting for that tenant to grab their last thing. And then we turn that thing in 72 hours, right? And then we don't prorate for the first 15 days. We barely lose any rent. But to answer your question, um, it's a system. Um, it's a 16-step system. I'll just tell you the first three to answer your question. Tenant puts in their 60-day notice. We have our operations director and leaders have to do a pre-inspection. Most property management companies, they wait for the tenant to move out, they walk in the unit, they assess yeah. the damage, they assess the rehab, then they order the shed. By time they even start working on it, there's 30 days of vacancy, then it takes them 30 days to fucking rehab it. It's awful, it's crazy. Um, we, tenant puts in their 60 day notice, we go in there, we have to be in there within seven days. We inspect the entire unit, and then they get three days to meet with my executive coordinator to decide how much more rent we're gonna get, which is gonna determine the light, medium, heavy. Then with 50 days to go before they move out, we place the order. 
So we place material orders 50 days before the tenant actually moves out. Most of our orders right now are at Lowe's and we just happen to be the second biggest buyer of Lowe's except for Chicago housing. Um, so uh, they give us priority on a lot of stuff, but I, I would tell you it's not just our economy of scale, it's definitely that if you can't get us a fucking appliance in 50 days, then we'll go to Home yeah. Depot. Like, yeah. yeah. And by the way, they'll pick that shit and they'll deliver it all for free too. They'll like all our stuff. Like we'll just send them, here's what we need. This is what we need to buy. You have 50 days. See you on uh, move out. Dude, I love that. So you're starting the process literally 60 days in advance, which yeah. is why you're able to jump on it as soon as they're out and they're still paying you for that extra five days. So by the time it's turned, it's like it just miraculously happened and a new tenant comes in, you're getting paid. So yeah, I, I think something that it seems like you're very good at Logan. And I think Harris is insanely good at as well Is a lot of people talk about being an integrator and being good at systems and processes, which is more so seen as like a logical train of thought, but a really valuable skill when you're building systems and processes is creativity. And I think that's something that people don't touch on a lot. Um, they're like, look for an integrator that's good with systems and processes. They're more of an, you know, a realist or a pessimist as a visionary would say. Um, but like a lot of people don't talk about that creativity, um, that an integrator should also have because you can build systems and processes, but the only way to improve those systems and processes is by not following the rules. It's actually breaking your own rules and thinking creatively. And that's something that I think Harris is insanely good at. It's like, yes, you have these step-by-step instructions that you need to follow or these systems that are set in place, but like, how can I make this better? And the only way to do that is to think outside of the box and think creatively. And like you, Logan, I haven't a lot. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that. And it's like, yes, you can learn it from another person, but if you learn it from another person, you can only become so good. And the only way that you can outpace your competition is by thinking outside of the box with yeah. everything in your business. And I think I think Harris has it in his profile too about like experience with team building, don't you? Um, on that's on oh, that, that's more Ethan than me. Well, that's, that's probably that's probably why you guys are a great team because yeah, like it. I would say just as important as your compliment to Harris is about like that integration piece. Um, at the end of the day, you got to get the team fired up to be able to follow that because not a lot of people like that creativity. And I th- I think like, your system is only as good as the you know your the logic behind will people be happy like following this because you and have will they do it? Yeah, yes, will yes. they do so it? Will they be able to do it? Will they be able to have fun doing it? Can they? Can you create like contingency? Pl- I mean, there's yeah I. So, Systems are amazing. <laughs> we're we're gonna have to geek out off cam, Logan, about uh, about some systems. But yeah, well, especially with um, property management, because you guys probably you you oh. guys just get me fired up at your ages because property management is like my one of my biggest goals outside of financial literacy is to disrupt property management across the United States. Okay. And the biggest reason why is because the people, most of the people, not everybody that do property management suck and they Mm -hmm. are unwilling to change and they're so old school and they are so old too. (laughs) Um, But like, it's even in the name, like think about it, right? Property management. That is not what it is anymore. Not when you're, not when you're renting to Gen G, Z, Gen X, like many, it is, but it is, it is about the tenants. It's about the customer residents. experience. It's about the experience that they get at the at the at, at it. Property management is number two. Managing the property is fucking easy, um, especially at, like repositioning a property. Like 
we can talk system all days, but it's really just about the resident. <laughs> like that is really tough to go from X to B with the business plan. I mean, I, I love when I hear investors like tell me the business plan. I'm like, so how is that going to affect the residents, and what does that look like? Like, um, like how does your communication look like? Because communication with the residents and being transparent and like putting yourself in their shoes is a really big fucking deal. Um, these are real people, um, and that's and that that's important. Like, my, literally, my companies improve people's lives. Like we are going to improve residents first, employees second, owners last, and in that order. Like that's that's the way that's the only way for for success. But yeah, property management is just ripe for disruption. It's so bad. <laughs> I love it, dude. Well, let's get to these outro questions, and we'll get you back on. Um, <laughs> first one is, um, what's one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Um. I'd probably say to take more risk, mm. um, to take more risk. I think uh, <laughs> I didn't take enough risk early on. And I wish I've also, maybe this goes in the same bucket of ask more questions as well too. Take more risk in what way? Um, <clears throat> take more risk with uh, business decisions on myself, um, on uh in investing money maybe or learning things that haven't been shared with me. I don't think I asked more questions and I think therefore I didn't take enough risk uh, early on. Uh, for, for example, it would have been a risk to do what my parents didn't want me to do and not go to college. But if I could go back in time, I wouldn't go to college. Mm. Um, that's a risk, right? Um, I'd had a bet on myself. And um, so I think I, I wish I wish I would have read more books. I wish I would have been surrounded by more people, but ultimately I wish I'd had more confidence in myself um, yeah. because, you know, I think I would have made decisions uh, that I knew I should make. I just, I didn't have enough confidence to take that risk. Yeah. I like your example about not going to college, but I do have to disagree with you <laughs> on this one thing because Harris and I, we both dropped out. I, I dropped out after my freshman year and Harris dropped out after a sophomore year of college to do real estate. And a lot of people, like, I guess for most most people, they would see it as risky. But I think once you believe in yourself so much that it's like, I'm not failing no matter what. Like, I, I don't even see it as risky anymore. Like, I see it as being more risky to stay in college and wait another three years before I can go out and do anything, like, full time. Like, I believe that it was less risky to drop out and do what we're doing because we just believe in ourselves so much. And I honestly believe that like if you work your ass off and you do what you say you're going to do, like things will work. Like most people don't do that. <laughs> like straight up. Yep. Um, so yeah, but I, I like your answers to that. It's, it's <laughs> the consistency with that too. So like a lot of people can work their ass off for like 30 days, but it's cutting, it's burning those bridges and, and saying, you know, I'm not going to fail no matter what, because the only way you can truly fail is if you give up. So if I'm not, if I'm just going to go for maybe it's a year, maybe it's five years, but whatever it is, I'm not going to stop until I reach my, my goal. Then yes, yeah, staying and, and spending time on something else that's not getting you closer to that goal is a risk. Um, but it, it, it really does come down to burning those bridges and saying I'm all in. Because um, having that backup plan, even, even just knowing that you have a plan B plants that seed that you might give up at some point. And, and that seed will eventually grow just like everything else. So you got to be careful 
Um, you got to be careful with that stuff. But <laughs> what's your opinion on that, Logan? You agree or? I strongly agree, guys. I strongly agree. It's one of the reasons I wrote I wrote this book too, because I just I think in I think for the longest time, myself included, like we get told what not to do. We get told to play defense through school. Society yeah. tells us to play defense. Nobody's teaching anything. Defense is fine. But you gotta play offense too, like and 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 for example, nobody knows what to do. I shouldn't say nobody. A lot of people that have only played defense all their lives have no idea what to do when you have things like inflation happen to you, and and defense just will absolutely like crush you because you gotta play offense against things like that, right? There's two sides, and we're only teaching one. Um, so everything you guys are just talking about is 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 about offense and betting yourself. And sometimes I, I Ethan, I, I like how you put it. It's like what is you know what's the worst that's what's the worst thing that's going to happen though too? Like I mean, it's almost more risky not doing anything like than than actually making that like when we we went broke like the first five years of investing uh in real estate like right we had seven dollars pretty much broke you know next year we invested broke broke and i remember people being like that is so risky like mm. that is so risky and uh i'm like what do i have to fucking lose mm. like i have no idea what my money my 401k is doing i know what this is doing I invest a little differently now. I make, you know, I have some reserves and, and stuff like that. But when, when you're young, like, I mean, I, I just, I think you got to take more risk. Like I, I, I had to speed up my trajectory. I felt like I lost 10 years. Um, so. Dude, I agree. We've had multiple times within our business experience uh, where like literally our bank account has been in the single digits or even negative. And it's like, okay, yes, we might be broke right now, but the things that we're going through are going to stick with us for the rest of our lives. Like the drive that we have, the skills, the people, like we're never going to lose that. So at the end of the day, it's not always about the money that you have in your bank account, but it's about the person that you're becoming. And I think that's so important. But let's, um, Harris, you want to do the next question before we get that, away? That's, that's facts, E. But um, yeah, next question. What is one underrated tool or software that you're using in your business right now? Uh, the number one tool that I use, um, hands down, this is an easy question for me is my financial plan, my monthly financial plan. Um, mm-hmm. my business is incorporated into that. Um, it, it completely changed my life. Uh, so I, um, well actually, um, I actually give the entire, uh, financial plan away in my book, like the steps that I use, I still use it to today. It drives everything. Like we didn't talk about this today, but I, I strongly believe to truly scale, you got to understand and be organized enough to know where you are and where you're going. Um, so by doing updating your financial plan, so you can see, cause right. I mean, the more streams of income, the better we understand it, but the more streams of income, the more money that's moving. Cause you want money to move contrary to belief. You don't want to just throw your money and let it sit. Like compound interest sucks compared to velocity of money. So you want it to move. So you got to be organized. Like, where is it? Like I am moving my money so freaking fast. And my monthly financial plan is a really good job of highlighting. um, Unlike people like Dave Ramsey about like work really, 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 really hard your entire life for your money. Yeah. My financial plan does a really good job highlighting how to make your money work hard for you. Mm. And that's going to be within the book that you're releasing, right? Yes. Solid, solid. And we'll talk about that at the end uh, of these questions. Um, but next one is, if you could go back and do this real estate thing all over again, what would be your first few moves? So we asked, what is your first three moves? If you want to do two, three, four, whatever. Uh, but what would be your first couple of moves? 
Yeah, I, it was my first answer, but I'm, I wanna say it again. I would take more risk early on. I would. Um, I was like ultra conservative, laughably conservative. Um, just like, I remember negotiating for like a $500 like inspection credit <laughs> or something. Like, this is gonna ruin the deal. <laughs> um, I would, um, I'd read more. Uh, or uh, in today's world, uh, be, listen to podcasts like this, um, you know, be around, edu- my, my circle sucked, like from a like, wealth building standpoint, like yeah, great family, great friends, I wouldn't change that, but I would try to surround myself with more people that were entrepreneur, more people that were in real estate, any way I could learn faster, um, up and, and not including like skipping college. So like if I could have just like skipped those four years and learned from somebody else and put in the sweat and time, I think I'd be a lot further than I am today. Um, and the last thing, and I kind of alluded to this, I wish I would have done earlier on, um, saved up a little bit more money, um, or educated myself on more creative financing techniques. I do a lot of creative financing today, um, to be able to just jump into five units or more. Um, so I, I, I have a lot of weaknesses and I have a lot of strengths and I'm a big believer in focusing on your strengths and surrounding good people around my weaknesses. One of my strengths is understanding how to re like look at a business, how it's currently run and make it a, a lot better and then figuring out how to do that really quickly. If I would have started like buying five units or more um, and, and, and focused in on um, reposition those, those uh, businesses, those properties, I, again, I feel like I would have twice as many units as I own right now. Mm. Love I it. love that. I love last, that. L- last question would be um, where can listeners find you online? Uh, when is your book coming out? What's the name of it? Where can they find that? All that good stuff. Cool. Um, you can find me, my website's loganrankin.com, so pretty easy. Um, I'll shoot you guys in the show notes, my um, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of that I think is Logan J. Rankin, Facebook. Um, so I'll shoot all that. Uh, you can find my book on Amazon. It launches on May 10th, and it is Find Your Financial Freedom. Um, I, I said that like in the beginning that books changed my life. Um, it changed my entire trajectory. And uh, like you guys, like one of my biggest goals is now and, and visions is how do I give back and how do I help everybody at any age? Uh, you know, this is even wrote uh, and written for uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers, people with 100 units, 200 units, um, any age. If you want to achieve financial freedom faster, I think my book does that. And what I really love to tell you guys, because this is a no BS show, um, it certainly does have some stuff in the beginning about mindset. Right. Um, certainly some things that I think people need to understand. Um, but it, the whole book doesn't talk about like why all debt's not bad debt. Cause that's what I think a lot of personal finance and wealth uh, building books, like the, oh, I love rich dad, poor dad, but it's like all mindset. Um, so in the middle of this book, it, I'm like, if I'm gonna write this, I wanna actually help people, not just switch their mindset. So it literally has uh, my financial plan, and the three steps that I follow every single month, um, and you can actually do this uh, with your wife or with your spouse, and uh, it starts with vision, goes through a cash flow budget, talks about assets and liabilities, and exactly what I do. Um, so, like, after you're done reading this book, you could literally start. Uh, and I started when I was negative forty thousand dollars in debt. So, um, it gives actionable steps, and then um, you guys will appreciate this. There's a chapter on uh, legacy. Um, the best way to learn is to teach and you should be teaching it to kids. So there's an entire chapter built on how do you teach this stuff to your kids. Um, and of course, uh, there's a bonus chapter on real estate. So, uh, which I go into a lot of the concepts and a lot of stuff, um, that you can do to get started or just scale your business a little bit faster. 
I love that. I love that. Well, we're going to put all of that in the show notes below your Instagram, your Facebook, your book, um, and your website. So, uh, I really appreciate you coming on today, Logan. You're honestly a perfect candidate for this podcast. Um, you know, the, the, the gym dropping technique, it's a skill within itself. So, um, we appreciate you having you on. Um, is there anything else you guys want to say before I take us out? Yeah, no, dude, Logan, I appreciate you coming on, dude. You've been one of our, uh, honestly, one of our better guests, just the way you explain stuff, and I can tell you're very passionate about what you do, so I freaking love that. <laughs> Passion's everything, man. I appreciate yeah. you guys having me on. I love what you guys are doing, too, so appreciate the opportunity, guys. Love it, love it. Well, this is the No BS Real Estate Show, where we cut out all the fluff and get straight to the point. Thank you guys for watching. Ladies and gentlemen, I told you he would drop some gems. Even Harris and I have implemented some of the things he said um, as far as hiring. For example, the master checklist. We're onboarding an administrative assistant as we speak, and we have a master checklist that they need to complete before they get their full pay, and we can track how well they're doing, and they know exactly what they need to learn to become competent in the role. So, guys, I hope you took a lot out of that. If you want to reach out to Logan Rankin, show notes below if you want to reach out to us same place. I'll catch you guys next episode.